it's harder for me because I'm disabled. I don't want to have to say that. It's just that I get depressed because I can't do anything about it. So I had something here. Oh, okay. Let's do this one. I know you guys will like this. Welcome back. I'm Alfred Lamont Weber. It's a great privilege today to be with Robert Potter and Lowell Johnson. And we're going to take an unusual journey today to a an interdimension inner earth, Agartha, um, through Robert to Lowell, who has journeyed to inner earth to Agartha. So Robert, could you please open the way for us here? Uh, well, I want to first say thank you for coming on. And uh, Lowell, I want to thank you for uh, your openness and willingness to share your experiences with uh, uh, Alfred's audience today. I'm happy to do that. Uh, this experience wasn't supposed to be just for me. It's supposed to be a message for the rest of humanity. It really, it really is. I think, folks. Um, I, I'm going to give a little background uh, to to my meeting with Lowell, so you can understand. And as you can see, is an absolutely um, uh, regular person, um, and and I look for the truth pretty heavily. I, I seek it out. And, um, and I'm sorry, uh, I got a little beeping there. I think um, it's just coughing is that too, is that too annoying? Yes, it's too annoying. Can you hear the sound? Oh, yeah. Alfred? Better than Yeah, you. but just speak, just, just speak through it. I mean. Okay. I'm trying to fix this, um, but I can't seem to fix right. this. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm sorry. You'll have to edit that little part out just a second here. You okay? Yuki! 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 You gotta close the door. I'm on a, a call here. I, I guess this is part of the the uh, the electronic frontier. There you go. Sorry, she opened the door and it set off the smoke alarm there. I apologize. Kind of a classy. No, All right, no, so... Um, I don't. Do you want to start over? Do you want to? Edit? Oh. No, no. Okay. This is all flow. Please, please, okay. please continue. All right. All right. So, all right. Well, I'd like to start off by telling you um, how I uh, got introduced to Lowell. Uh, a friend of mine told me there was a rumor going around that a guy had uh, gone into uh, the inner earth here in Mount Shasta, and I was really interested i i'm always seeking truth but this was a, a particularly um something in me just said really pay attention to this one and i said well uh as he when did this happen they said just a couple of months ago and so i looked at it pretty closely uh uh in my heart and i felt it was something that i should pursue so i found out that he had, was on facebook and his name was little thomas and i uh, immediately began to uh messenger him and see about meeting him because it was before my conference in Mount Shasta. So I was thinking I had some people uh, with COVID related uh, problems with family allowing them to come and I thought I would replace him for my Mount Shasta summer conference. 
and uh, it turns out he couldn't make it because of some fires and stuff. But um, I ended up talking to him for several hours. It was just quite fascinating. And one of the things I want to say for people who are, um, you know, you know, skeptical of this type of type of thing, I'm going to say I'd like you to open your minds a little bit. Uh, one of the remarkable things, and this is just my opinion of my interaction with Lowell, he is a very normal person. He was not seeking this experience. He's not an expert on the inner earth. He's he's not a, a metaphysical uh, um, personality in the public. He's a extraordinary human with a, a, a certain... I'd have to say vibrational quality from my understanding of how these things take place and what's and, and his explanation of it is that um, um, in one point they said we, we we think he will remember it. They knew his family, they knew him. It was he was chosen, and I believe he was guided to this very place at this very point in time to have this experience and to reveal it to the world. And so for me. Um, you know, I look for signals and I, I found no deception. I just found a sincere, honest and uh, a nice gentleman who was very open and uh, happy to share his amazing experience. And in the course of my conversations with him, um, I've known several things. There was a girl named Bonnie and you could look it up under YouTube under Sharula Ducks, S-H-A-R-U-L-A. D-U-X. And she came out years ago, I think in the early 80s, um, with a story that she was from the inner earth. And um, she appeared in Mount Shasta and she gave some conferences and she told her story. Before this, she went to a, a very famous UFO researcher I knew when I was a young kid in my uh, 1920. His name was Bill Hamilton. He was a famous UFO researcher. <laughs> And um, she ended up meeting him and another guy who was at a conference you were on previously with me, Alfred. You had to do a remote uh, presentation as you did this year. But his name was Michael Allegian. Michael Allegian had met Bill Hamilton and uh, had the meeting with Bonnie uh, from the inner earth. And she had uh, blonde hair. And uh, she revealed her real name was Sharula Ducks. And she had told a, a story and it's in a 12-part series that you can find on YouTube. And her descriptions really rang true to me, and I really uh, tuned into that uh, story. And one of the things that uh, he told me about that I knew absolutely that it's true, and he had never heard of Sharula, was that that there is something called the living stone. When he takes you on this wonderful journey that he experienced, there is a large pyramid that is probably the focal point of the main the area. I've never thing? been there, so Lowell will tell us about that. But there's what's called the living stone. And the living stone is a is a pyramid. And at the top of the pyramid is this living stone. It's like a capstone. And this capstone will change colors with the frequencies of the day or the galactic energies so that the people are in harmony with the vibrations of the universe, kind of like an astrology, a living astrology that might indicate this is a good time for meditation. This might be a good time for health, for exercise, 
for mental activity or spiritual activity. I don't know all the colors and frequencies or exactly what that would mean, but um, he mentioned this and talked about it, and I knew right away that my intuition was correct. I should really uh, pay attention to Lowell. Um, I think um, there's so many things that we judge and misunderstand that um, uh, to have someone uh, have a face-to-face encounter, a real experience, was something that um, I'm really drawn to because I want to hear it from a person who had their their own experiences, his own perceptions, whatever he felt. But um, my sense and and my endorsement is that Lowell's absolutely honest. Um, he's a, 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 I want to say, bright, intelligent, open, honest person. And I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with him as he takes you on this journey. So um, that was my experience and my understanding. And then his experience will unfold here as he uh, tells his perceptions and what happened. And Alfred, please do, uh, if you have any question about something, um, maybe just raise your hand and keep an eye up and you can ask questions if you want i can you can ask my opinion but i'd like Lowell to give his experience and um if he wants anything uh if he wants uh to take questions or something say if you have any questions you can just ask us but um uh, i think uh i guess we should start to to let you uh tell your wonderful experience Lowell. i guess um, he was going through some changes in his life. He can talk about that. And then he found himself in the upper parking lot in uh, in Mount Shasta. So once again, thank you for coming on, Lowell, and we'll be happy to hear your story. Thanks. I'm happy to share. Um, it, maybe it might do us some good for me to kind of talk about what led up to this event. And um, without going back and talking about my spiritual journey which is uh, over four years long uh, I just want to talk about this uh, particular instance and you know during the, the time that we were all locked down with COVID I had actually been uh, on an assignment in Baton Rouge Louisiana had intended to move to Las Vegas and do some consulting work I've been a hospitality professional for all my life and um, before I was going to make that transition, my son, who's here in Santa Rosa, I thought I'd go and spend a couple of weeks with him before you know, I moved everything to Nevada. Um, I, I was there for about a week before COVID exploded onto the scene and everybody was on lockdown. So uh, for the next few months um, I was there spending time with my son while the rest of the world kind of figured out what was going to go on but then when we got to July and those arrangements relaxed a little bit I was just hungry to get back to nature that's where I find my peace and solace is to go spend time maybe on the Pacific coast love to do that just roll down the windows and let the sea breeze blow through your car there's plenty of um, 
I used to live wonderful in wooded areas in Sonoma mm-hmm. County. There's every kind I of geography that you advantage. want to experience. I mean, it's here, it. and I always get self-satisfaction and nourishment on spending time in those areas. So when there was an opportunity maybe to go somewhere else, I had thought about spending some time in some of the national parks. And the first place I had in mind was to head to the southwest and go to the Four Corners areas. Uh, There's so many wonderful places there with Zion and Valley of the Fire and um, the Grand Canyon and lots of opportunities with arches and places to go visit that I thought I would head there. And when I started to do my research, I was beginning to understand that many of these places were not open and available. So for some reason, the next impulse I had was to go to Mount Shasta. Now, I'd been in that area before, but I hadn't spent any significant time. So I thought uh, this way I would stay in California. Um, I would go um, to some places where, you know, when it gets really hot, you just head for either coastline or some higher elevations to kind of mitigate the uh, temperatures. And I thought it sounded like a good idea. Never mind that I was drawn there for purposes beyond me and I was supposed to go there. So the intent was I was going to head to Mount Shasta for a week. My son and I were going to then meet in Tahoe and, you know, spend a little time there together and enjoy nature. One week in Shasta ended up rolling into another and another and another. In the end, I was there for almost six weeks just absorbing the energy in that area. Now I understand um, that there is unique energy to that entire area. (laughs) It's tangible, I can feel it. I hiked every day and I'm not a young man anymore. These are things that I would have done, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. But each day I would start out where I should have been sore from the hike before. I was not. So there is an energy that affects our physical beings that I experienced in real time there. Um, That was amazing. Um, The times that you would meditate, it would feel like if you were grounded and you had your feet on on the ground. It felt like there was almost a magnetic catch that they didn't feel heavier, you just felt that connected to, you know, the earth surface. So anyway, I had um, spent this particular Friday that led up to the day that I ended up having my experience in Telos, that I had spent uh, a morning in Mount Shasta seeing a place called the Peace Garden, which was a wonderful experience. when that was finished, I had decided that I would figure out what I was going to do next and maybe think through the next few days. I'd spent a significant amount of time up on the Panther Meadows lot, up kind of at the top of Mount Shasta. So if you know where the old ski bowl is, that's where this place is. It's pretty much as high as you could drive. Um, and I enjoyed a lot of time there. So I got there a little before noon on this Friday thinking about what I was going to do for the next few days and as I found an empty picnic table I had sat back where I could now see Shasta was directly in front of me and Shastina which is its little sister mountain was there to the left 
it's now right about noon and so the shadows from um, the sun getting on the other side of Shastina were starting to um, cast in a way that it almost appeared as though there were some sections along Shastina that could have been cave entrances. It's certainly been said that there are cave entrances that people could find and I, I'm under the impression that people have spent considerable time seeking these places out with you know, little or no success. Uh, but they were curious enough for me that I thought I would look them out. I mean, I grew up along the Mississippi River in St. Paul, and there were caves there. And, you know, me and my friends would find our way down there and have our little parties. And so it wasn't unusual to find that type of circumstance. Um, so that was Friday. Um, I, I didn't intend to do it that day because whatever was going to unfold, I just wanted to allow enough time to do that. And so I decided that the next day I was going to visit uh, Black Butte, which is another mountain just to, I guess that would be to the west of Mount Shasta. If you're driving up I-5, you drive right by this thing and it looks like the, the black top of a huge quartz crystal. It's a little, it's a little volcano cone. It's a, a little bit north um, of of the main highway there and uh, to the west. Yes, amazing. So I decided that I was going to make this hike. There was a way to get all the way to the peak and see the views from there. I, I didn't really pay much attention to people that had been there before and their accounts of how steep and rocky and a couple places had been washed out. So honestly, there were two times that I decided I was going to go back and, you know, press forward. But I told you that story to tell you this one. Uh, it took me six hours to make that. And by the time I got back to my room, I was never so happy to see the car in the parking lot. I went back to my room and just rested for the evening. And like by 6.15, I was done. So the next morning, it's just regular for me to get up around seven and meditate immediately and then you know continue the rest of my day i had already friday saturday night decided that i wasn't going to do anything but just chill out in bed take the day recover a little bit um but after meditation when i played back down to recover a little bit more it got to be about mid-morning and something just said look get up and, and let's go see it. Um, you can see where you want to go. So we know it's going to take maybe 20 or 25 minutes to, to, to hike to that spot. And let's just go see. So uh, I can't explain what drives people, much less myself. But that was the motivation for it that day. So I got up, got dressed, um, took the things that I needed to go to on a regular hike and I made my way to Panther Meadows so by the time I got there it was right around noon again parked in the lot and it's a Sunday so there were families and lots of people there uh, the, the trails that most people follow from Panther Meadows goes um, kind of straight up toward Mount Shasta and then there's some beautiful valleys with streams off to the right hand side but where I was going you could see that there was a trail that led off to the left um, toward Shastina 
and once you followed that path around, which kind of circled it, there was going to be a place where I would have to begin to hike, you know, off trail and just kind of follow a line as the crow flies to this area that I had in mind. So I made my way from the vehicle. I'd taken a couple photographs from the car um, so that I could remember where, what direction I was going to be heading in. And I had some kind of documentation of where I was going to be headed. Now, let me stop here for a moment and say that although I had done research because uh, I've got an interest in Atlantis and that's been there for a while, I had done plenty of research learning what I could about everything that happened back then. And it's just a natural course of study when you're learning that, that you tend to understand about Lemuria and Mu and all of those things as well, because there's interconnectedness between those two civilizations. So I had an awareness of them, but I had no idea about this. I'd certainly heard legends that, you know, people lived in Telos there. Uh, but I was more thinking that if I was going to have some type of spiritual engagement, it may have been with the likes of, say, St. Germain, which is certainly no uh, fairy tale. That had actually happened there. So ascended masters are there in the area. And I thought, well, it'd be great if that would happen to me. Uh, it didn't yet, but uh, that's what I had in my mind. So anyway, um, I made this trip towards Shastina and then started to climb up the mountain to these areas that looked like they could have been little mini vortexes. And to me, they're identified by kind of a circular rock formation with some trees. Um, there were a couple of places that actually met those criteria. So I had stopped in one and just kind of got a feel for it. And you could feel that the energy had changed a little bit. And while I got settled there, well, then there was another one a little up and left to me. And I visited that one. And then there was one more that was almost right against the face of Shastina. And in it, there were three rocks that kind of came out in an encirclement. Um, they were pretty good sized rocks, except the one on the left-hand side was um, kind of narrow. Now it was about crotch high for me, so I could get up and over it. And once I did, um, there was an area, maybe oh, 10 feet, where um, there was a little bit of space to enjoy. So I thought, well, this is as good a place as any, and I'll sit here and meditate. And so when I sat facing the parking lot, I had leaned back, and there's an overgrowth of brush against the, the mountain. Solid surface, I put my back against it, stretched my feet out in front of me, and so I took another picture from there. I had some water, and I had some grapes. I meditated for just a few minutes, and then I had been listening to music in my ears, in my in my AirPods. That just stopped. So um, I put the water and my grapes away, and I reached in my back pocket because that's where I had my iPhone. I pulled it out, and there's no power. So as I'm trying to um, fire it up again, I got my finger on the power button. It appears as though there's a shadow that seems to be coming from over me and kind of along 
where my legs were as almost as though the sun had accelerated a little bit and like there's this canopy coming over me almost instantly I feel cool air coming from behind me and when I turn around to take note of the changes in my environment there's now a hole behind me it's probably a foot taller than I am and rounded out and uh, there's still sun behind me so I'm trying to make out what this is I stand up and there's a little grade that kind of goes up before it goes down on the other side when my eyes adjust enough I can see probably 10 yards down and on the left hand side of this opening there seemed to be somebody if I was to guess I would say that this person was about my height and then I heard somebody say do you wish to see Telos and I with half anxiety and half excitement I said yes and so I made my way up started to walk down and as I got closer to this person and my eyes adjusted from the light I could tell he was not my size. This guy's at least a foot taller than I am. Long, blonde hair. um, Handsome in a way that's just like ageless. So matured, but none of the signs that our poor little, you know, human bodies have when aging kicks in and crow's feet and the likes of which... As I got close to him, he had on a white apparel, but he had what appeared to be like colored ribbons. So I couldn't tell if that was the way that you bling up an outfit like that, or there was some significance to those colors. But anyway, he had said, "Um, my name is Alex. He said, you can call me Alex. And I said, well, that'll be easy. That's my son's name. He goes, yes, we know who your son is. And so he then indicated, follow me. And so we followed um, this path. It was almost like one of the volcanic tubes and we had made our way down to what I could see at the bottom of wherever this took us. Uh, You could see there was a light source. And as I got closer to the bottom, trying to take it in, when I looked behind me, whatever opening had um, opened up for me, I could no longer see any light coming from there. When we got to the bottom, it opened up into a fairly uh, spacious area. And there were volcanic tubes, five of them, that went from this little station. When we got to the opening um, of the entry area to this, I looked to my left immediately to the left and there was a platform that was approximately most six foot by six foot with what appeared to, to be and I could only characterize it as like two bucket seats a little further to the left and a little further to the right there was another one of these so there were three of them in total and um, Alex crawled into one of the seats on this one sitting next to us and indicated for me to get in the other one and as soon as I sat down it levitated and we began to move through that center too now there's no console there's no steering wheel 
and um, it didn't feel, even though we were moving, it didn't feel like we were moving anywhere. This was not a meditative journey for me. I was totally boots on the ground here, um, but I wasn't saying much just because I wanted to take it all in. As we were going through this tube, as we got closer to the end where you can now see some other light coming, um, you could tell that there were crystals embedded into the walls there. And as you went through and your physical perspective changed, so did the colors and the crystals. And it was like, Okay, so it's buffering right now. Um, hasn't buffered for a while, so um, it could be because I was um, working with this one, uh, trying to get a particular program to work, and I got part of it to work, but there's still a lot more that needs to be done. It's still not quite the way it should be. So, um, it's buffering. I don't know. Going through a living kaleidoscope, oh, it was amazing. Cool. Once we got to the area that was lit and opened up, now we're in what turned out to be level one of the city of Telos, which has five levels. It's just massive. So if envision uh, a view of a cityscape, we were able to levitate enough up like that to have that type of perspective looking out over the city. Could I, could I say, could I, uh, you said some things here I wanted to share with the audience. Maybe Alfred has a question at this point, but one of the things you had mentioned to me before, um, and my friend Louis Martens, who's been inside the inner Argartha network as you, he met and went down and was actually guided there to a position and stuff. He said it's kind of interdimensional. And one of the things that um, I wanted to, that you had mentioned before that I think you maybe could share a little bit was um, uh, about the lighting Caesar's because really you said there was the no sun, there was nothing, and yet, you were able to see if you could, now you're talking about the colors and stuff, maybe share a little bit about, uh, with the audience about that. I think there was something that you kind of, uh, I think you were chosen be because uh, you were able to make this dimensional shift into a higher frequency um, that you've been prepared for, but that's just my speculation that, it, that it's uh, uh, kind of another dimensional thing, but uh, share a, a little bit about that the lighting thing and uh just for those of you who, are, who, are, who don't know the, the way the car went was telepathically it was guided by the they have an interaction the technology the extraterrestrials and the inner earth people they don't they don't need um, uh wheels or anything everything's guided by uh, their their thoughts and, and their yeah mind. it was telepathic yes yeah okay um the, the light was kind of like that was the second thought. Once we got to the place where you could oversee the city and see these crystal buildings around that pyramid that you had mentioned before with um, the capstone on top of it, um, it was just remarkable. It was then when you start to take all that in that you started to look up and whatever the dome of this area was, I can't even begin to 
understand how how far that was, how much space that was. Um, but what occurred to me is there was no skylights. There's no sunlight that's coming in here. And yet it was lit up like it was a, a bright sunny day outside. So I had questions about what created that light source because it just radiated the place. It was crazy. Um, crystal buildings all around it. It was just like something that you would have seen in a fairy tale. <clears throat> but these crystals were of amazing different colors. And um, what I thought I recognized, you got to see on Dara crystals, which is indicative to that area, that I um, am a fan of um, the quartz crystals. There was lots of construction that was done with that. And as much as we here on the surface value of gold and silver and precious metals like that, no, they use those things for, just for accent. Everything was drawn around crystals. And I suspect that was just because of the energy that they um, emit. And I'll talk about physical energies when we get to um, kind of the last part of this. So as we were kind of hovering over this and taking it all in, um, we would drop enough so that I could start to see, you know, there were people everywhere there. And when I would make eye contact with those that I could, it just felt like nothing needed to be said, that I knew them and they knew who I was. So I'm not sure other than the sense of, you know, a law of one and fifth dimensional kind of mentality that um, we are all connected in a way that um, should make telepathy and um, communication like that um, more viable. And I I'm a believer that it's coming and it's coming soon. <laughs> I I'm pretty sure that those are some of the reasons that they knew about me on the reasons why I was chosen to go. Um, we then found ourselves on the third level. He began to explain what the diff five different levels in Telos was. And the first one is mainly where uh, the population lives. It has been suggested that there's about a million and a half people that live in Telos. I have no way of um, I hadn't been told that by any of the people that I met with that day, um, but it would certainly make sense. If you follow the history of Lemuria and what had happened during the Great Flood and when they found themselves in there, that 25 or 26,000 of them found their way to the mountain, you know, whenever Lemuria finally went under in the Pacific. And so it would be... Con um, consistent with what I think. Lowell, can I ask you, you talk to me because I wanted you to, to to maybe share a little bit about the size and the area that's there so people can yes. grab the magnet and maybe a little more description of what it was looking like inside there. Oh, yes. Uh, 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 now that we've got it, we have a little bit of an hour, we can spend a little more time on the details. It's been said that Telos occupies a space that's 25 miles in size. Um, the first level were areas where the population lived. There were many temples there. 
um, the administrative parts of Telos that are all there. And then the second level, which I didn't visit, um, is more administrative, some manufacturing and some additional um, housing where uh, the Lemurians live. The third level, which I did get to see, was all about hydroponics. Probably seven acres that we hovered over of everything that feeds their entire population. Nobody worries about what they're going to eat. No one worries about what they're going to live. Those things are already provided for every citizen there. So uh, their their immediate needs are being met. Um, the, the hydroponic part of it was amazing thinking that between the crystal technology that they took advantage of and the way that they grew their crops without any types of pesticides like, like we do, everything is organic everybody is a vegetarian and these crops rotate in such a way that they roll themselves over so quickly that there's enough food in that area to feed their entire population um, multiple times a day <laughs> the fourth level was additional manufacturing some schooling in whatever form that takes um, and then the and some um, parks I can't think of another way to explain what he had told me uh, the area that I wished I would have seen had that been a an opportunity for me was how he explained the fifth level and it's like a giant park that there are plants flora and fauna and even animals that used to reside on the surface that have not seen the surface since then and that humanity has not seen since uh the fall of lemuria but there's going to be an opportunity for those things to be, you know, seen and witnessed again. And you know, the, the time is coming soon. There's there was a point to my visit, and we'll get to that soon. Um, Robert asked me to um, think a little bit more uh, about the details on what I had seen on level one. And, and now that we've got a little more time, I will talk about it. The city is almost based kind of in a circular fashion, and that pyramid temple is right in the middle of with the capstone um, I have heard that, that the capstone changes color I can only confirm that the day that I was there it was white and it, whether it changed or not um, it didn't happen on my watch that day but I'm, I'm under the impression that it does in a, a way that uh, Robert had explained these you said buildings that it was the living stone did they call it that they call the capstone the living stone right okay they did call it that and yes. um one of the that was a gift from the venusians right there you go so one of the People other things i wanted Venus. you to, to mention was is uh maybe give us uh the time and uh uh one of the things about lowell is that he was taking this all in he wasn't asking questions because i was like oh my god what about this and did you ask that and um he has a, um, a very uh, observant personality and he, he, something in him realized he should just uh, observe and didn't ask too many questions. But can you share anything else that Alex might have told you or commented to you as you uh, went through this? And of course, talk about the, the, the topic. Uh, 
the the top level with a little a better, a little more details in your description. You know, he was a kind of a gracious tour guide. Uh, it went away. This was meant to be an abbreviated tour. Now that I've had time to assimilate what had ever happened, and man, I think about what happened there every day, you, um, there are things that just occur to you to put into perspective that civilization. The latest one is my son bought a new house, and so we're painting. And so I spent, this happened actually yesterday, I was on one of those little step ladders so I could reach the peak in the, the room and these are 10 foot ceilings. And when I got up on the second step, realizing that my head is probably equal eight foot, for some reason in my head, it just said, this is what their perspective looks like when an eight foot person gets to look down on everybody else. Um, let me go back to the city a little bit. There, I have an appreciation for crystals and the energy that they have. I have much more labradorite than anybody should probably have, and I have some Andara crystals, and I actually found some when I was there in Mount Shasta. Um, yes, there you go. <laughs> um, you know, as bright as the wonderful colors of them are, I happened to go to a shop while I was there and um, met with Bev and when I first saw she has eight different rooms of crystals in um, the crystal shop and when you got to the back room and you saw what they had for Andara crystals I thought well there's not very much representation here and so that was the first day and the shop was busy so I went back two days later to kind of take it in again because if there's a crystal shop in town I'm going to go see it and on my way out I ran into her and I asked I said I'm kind of surprised you wouldn't have more Andara crystals here and she said oh you know we got tons of that stuff but it's all down in the basement but somebody else had asked today too so if you want to come back at six o'clock today i will take you down there and you can go through and see what i've got um i won't go into andara crystals but there it's a minor uh, atomic monatomic crystal um with qualities that no other stone crystal like it has i can understand why it has a much more high vibration quality about it um, because of what these things do but when we went down to take a look at it and she called it the Shire she had shelf upon shelf upon shelf upon shelf of these Andara crystals that had come from Lady Nellie's land if you know who Lady Nellie is and where Andara crystals were first found in that area she showed me one and there was a reason I'm telling you this story and she called it root beer. Well, I had seen bright blue ones, and I happened to possess one. Um, there's lots of lime green ones. Um, they come in a variety of colors, but this one looked brown. And when you look closely at it, there were some striations in the inside that almost looked like there were little lights inside of it. She had a few pieces of that. And it was probably in the end, I bought one of those. It's kind of shaped in a wedge, and it's just beautiful. But I remember seeing, when I talk about the Crystal City, the, the Crystal City was all different colors. And there were some of those buildings that were made out of this root beer-colored um, 
on Dara Crystal, and it's just fabulous. How it was done in the way that it's done, you know, I don't know. Once I maintain full-on fifth-dimensional awareness, maybe I'll be able to understand the process enough so that I can yeah, articulate it to others. Um, but it was just magnificent. They, they uh, look like they're, they're. Some people speculate yeah, they're like that. a volcanic glass, but they have a really a glass-like quality to them. Yes, that's correct. But there is one difference. You know, I bought yeah, a piece fine. a few years ago and found out that it was in fact a piece of glass, and it wasn't what it led up to be. I had read uh, along the way about the, uh, a time when it was initially found on Lady Nellie's land on that um, there was always like a white powder in the area that you would find. Now, whether they call it Ethereum or whatever it is, that was um, the now I understand of gold. One of the days that I was up hiking, I had, had my crystals with me and there were some people that had kind of come along the way and I dropped one of them and I chipped off part of it and when I picked it up, guess what? Here's that white powder that everybody's talking about. You could see it in the flaw that was made when I dropped the crystal. So I knew that what I had was a legitimate Andara crystal. I'm not suggesting anybody crack your crystals to find out whether they're legit. But in my case, that's how I found out that I had some authentic stuff. And it just tied to the construction of the things that I saw in Telos. Oh, okay. So, and do you want to want to stop and ask a couple questions along the way, Alfred? Please, Alfred, you're muted. If you want to ask some questions, would you like to? Or, well, um, this is all very new to me, <clears throat> and it's it's different from the inner earth that I experienced. Um, in Bulgaria, um, which, as I understand, uh, was set up uh, resulting from some of the uh, of the tribes. From from some of the tribes that had that had Sorry about that. Yeah, t- today has been that kind of day uh, that had that had been from from some of the tribes uh, that had gone down in there, and there's a line of kings that um, uh, rule over these tribes and this civilization, where the entry is um, in in the uh, Bulgaria. Romania area, and uh, or at least th- these are uh, what the people who who come out of that area say, and I'm I, I'm referring referring to people who've, who've written books coming out of that area and people who I've I've interviewed coming out of that area, and uh, this area what struck me. Uh, a great deal about what you said was uh, the technological aspect. And it was so much so that I wanted to ask whether that wasn't, uh, it was technological, whether or not 
that was part of the deep underground military bases. That was, I said, oh, is that part of deep underground military bases? Because it was technological and there are, you know, you see so many photographs of, of those uh, sort of large tunnel builders that build the deep underground military bases. And, and so that was one of my first questions was what are the people down there like? If you could go into what the civilization is like and what they say their origin is. Well, I'll try my best to answer that. Um, I didn't have a lot of interaction with just anybody that was there. I did meet with the council and I'm leading up to that part of the story. But if, if I was to, it's my understanding as well that there are other areas in inner earth throughout the globe. Uh, and that Telos is just one of those. But if I was to characterize the area I saw, it wasn't military in any way. I don't know that this would have been hollowed out in any, any way that that could have been done by uh, any kind of human effort. Um, there is, there's a dimensional shift that they get to take advantage of. And the Lemurians have lived there that way for a while. Based on what research I could find online, the last time that there had been any type of surface contact with Lemurians, because they have a history uh, back in the 40s and the 50s of actually coming into Mount Shasta and trading for you know the things that they needed and with gold. Um, but there hadn't been any type of contact that I could find since the early 90s in a way that I had experienced it physically. Now, there are plenty of people that channel. Um, I'm not channeling. That's not what I do. But I've certainly benefited from speaking with some of those people after my experience just to find out, you know, what happened to me and what kind of light can you shed on my experience. So let me go back to... Um, continuing the story because after we finished uh, looking over this area of the hydroponics and whatever crystal technology would assist the, the way that their crops grew that um, we headed back up to the surface and when we first came in off to the right hand side you could tell that there was there was another round kind of temple there um, the opening was um, uh, exposed and when we got on whatever you want to call this hovercraft it landed there and I could begin to see some etchings that were uh, notched into the crystals that were there now they looked oddly familiar to me because there's a shop in Mount Shasta uh, called Blue Child Gallery and Haruko is the proprietor there and she does these amazing handwritten diagrams of what she calls um, different um, light codes. They looked exactly like her stuff, 
One was called the code for the new earth and one was the new human blueprint. These were supposed to be representative of galactic codes for that um, light code and how humans are changing uh, and their DNA is changing. Here are the light codes that represent that. Well, when I saw them on the wall, I mentioned to Alex that they looked just like something I've seen in Mount Shasta, and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, um, those were inspired here by Haruko. That's her work. Well, Ooh. she had no idea. When uh, I Ooh. finished this, I went back. This was Sunday. I went to her shop immediately after I'd had this experience because I wanted to share it with her. Well, her shop was closed on Sunday, but I went back on Monday to kind of explain to her what had happened. Uh, and then to Bev over at um, the crystal shop so I could share with her because to them, uh, they weren't surprised that I'd had the experience that I had. As astounding as it would have been for me not understanding you know where i was going or what i was getting involved in it was remarkable to me so we entered into this room and it is circular it turns out that this is the council chambers in the middle is a round table that's just gorgeous it has crystals inlaid into it and around it are 13 chairs there was something profound, though, about when you stepped into this room in that there was an energy that was palpable, that you could feel it. I could feel it in my chest. There was like a radiation that came out of the crystal walls that felt like the most beautiful etheric hug you've ever had. I've been on an ayahuasca journey, and this was the same sensation that I got with just Mother Gaia uh, just wrapping her arms around you. As Alex and I entered the room, five other people came in. One I recognized immediately. That was Adama. He was taller than the rest. And then there were four women that joined him as well. They took um, three seats on either side and um, invited me to sit down kind of in between them all. There was um, a woman, they each introduced themselves and kind of the role that they played. So Adama went first and indicated who he was, um, what role he played, and honestly, other than Alex, I'd be lying if I told you I can remember the names with the exception of the woman that spoke first. Her name was Shyama. And the reason I remember that is during the the discourse that took place next, she kind of chaired the meeting to think of it in a way that is understandable for us. She explained to me that um, I was asked to come for three reasons um, that I had demonstrated to their satisfaction apparently that I can hold fifth dimensional awareness number two that they understood that I was the protector of Gaia and number three was that they believe that this shift in consciousness that the earth is about to go through is going to happen around winter solstice this year Their 
reaching out to me was to find out whether I would be open to the idea of being an emissary between the two because they would love to be able to come back and integrate back with surface people. Um, that they have technologies and resources that they wish to share with humanity. And that humanity also has some gifts and things that although in our third dimensional awareness, we may not have been great stewards of earth, um, but they saw that once humanity's consciousness was going to raise to a level that was consistent with theirs, that they would love to interact with us once again and share resources between them. Adama then said that the council was unanimous in this request and that if I was interested in considering helping them be this emissary when the time came, that um, they would uh, appreciate it. Does that look like a Dhamma that I'm showing there on the screen? It uh, Well, he looks a lot better than that picture, but it's pretty accurate. Um, he's tall. He's over eight feet tall, easily. Um, and although, you know, when you look up at the tallest basketball players you've ever seen, um, this guy was all that and then some. But I'll tell you the one thing that stood out about all of them is that however old they might be and they don't have a, 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 an existence like the rest of us humans do they look ageless they don't look like they've aged at all but clearly um, their spirituality changes um, his was definitely he's the high priest and so he probably represents sixth or seventh dimension, however those things are measured. But I know that there's a level at which you get to where your form changes and maybe that is formless, but these were not that. Um, anyway, when I said yes after, you know, what the first thought was, you know, why me? Well, you never say those words out loud, but you always, of course, wonder, you know, how was it that I got chosen? So I had to kind of satisfy myself with the three answers that they gave me and the reasons why. But uh, I was filled with gratitude, humility. Um, the answer was yes. Well, as soon as I uttered the yes, our meeting was done. So they accomplished what it was that they wanted to accomplish. And they gave me enough of a tour for me to say that yes, I was in Telos physically and this place is legit. It's not a legend. It's a place that really exists and they've been there for a lot longer than we have. But the good news to me, and I had had this belief for some time now anyway, that knowing that there was a shift in consciousness coming to uh, Gaia to raise her, or to Earth to rise her to Gaia, um, that something years ago had told me I was going to be here within this lifetime to participate somehow in the shift. What role I was going to play, who knew? Um, I'm getting a better idea of what that means. Um, but the fact that they also thought it was going to be in summer or winter solstice this year, that was the whole thrilling part of all of this. Never mind that the experience itself was phenomenal and I still can't articulate it 
as well as I probably should based on how fantastic what happened to me was, the more important message to me was that this shift is imminent and it's coming soon. I'd like to, I'd like to uh, say some things here. One of the things, folks, I think that's very, uh, it actually gives credence to Lowell's story is that he wasn't expecting this. And, um, you know, we talked, uh, uh, he and I talked about this. He thought maybe, because I said, you know, it's really nice that you're not like, you know, you know, wearing crystals or a pyramid on your head like I do or something and, you know, been a long time telos person that you were just a, a regular normal person and had a 